Hey, what's up? My name's Alex, and this is the place where I talk about things like uh, philosophy and race and identity, and more recently, um, a lot of kind of economics. Uh, actually, I don't know whether you can call rambling about um, the shortcomings of you know late capitalism a discussion of economics, but you know, for the purposes of um, uh, inflating my ego, let's 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 say that. Um, yeah, so a uh, bit about me very quickly. Um, I'm 23, uh, I'm single, um, Virgo, star sign, uh, fiercely, fiercely resent astrology, um, not to be confused with uh, astronomy, um, and that's all you need to know. I live in Melbourne, um, again, I'm single, uh, <clears throat> single. Um, yeah, so uh, today, oh, actually, before I tell you about the guest, um, briefly, I will never have ads on this podcast, and that means one thing. Um, that I rely on your support to keep this going. So um, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, you can do a number of things to support it. Um, You can share it with your friends. I would encourage you to do that. Um, Don't be afraid of reposting my stories or things on Instagram. That'd be pretty cool if you could do that. Um, Otherwise, you can leave a review on iTunes. That'd be cool. Or, you know what the most cool thing to do would be? Um, Become a patron on Patreon. Um, and pledge like $2 a month or however much you feel or however little you feel. Um, and there'll be a link uh, in my bio and there's also a link on my website. Oh yeah, and if you want to know more about me, go on my website. Anyway, that's enough. Um, that's enough. That's enough. So today I spoke with Tom Ballard. He is a comedian. Uh, he is, he has his own podcast called like a six-year-old or five-year-old or seven-year-old, one of those year olds. Um, you may also know him from his TV show, uh, the tonightly, um, that, that no is no longer running. Um, I think he got in trouble. Um, yeah, cool. So what did Tom and I speak about? Well, over zoom, um, we spoke about, uh, a lot of politics actually, which was, um, yeah, I guess I had interviewed Tom previously with my friend Liam, um, and that was quite a political conversation as well. Nevertheless, it was uh, it was a very insightful conversation with a number of critiques of um, capitalism and self-interest, and uh, we also spoke about um, atheism, and we spoke about uh, our hopes for the way that society is going to change. Um, so yeah, cool. I hope you enjoy the podcast um, and take care and bye. Artificial introduction to the podcast. So. <laughs> Love it. Tom, hey, how are you? Oh, Hi, Alex. I'm really well. How are you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I say that. Sorry, that's an automatic response. I'm weird. Everyone's weird. The world's weird. Everything's weird. And I wish that things were different. But here we are. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's like uh, Liam and I, who who interviewed you last time we spoke, um, we had like a whole episode on that automatic reflex of being like, yeah, I'm well, but like now, like, yeah, you just, you can't, you can't say that. Um, I mean, yeah, everything, everything is very weird. Um, but what, like, uh, last time I spoke to you, you had just restarted your podcast. Um, and I think you'd also just like, uh, bought a place which no one 
of my generation can even like fathom so how's <laughs> how's that going <laughs> well i'm not an evil landlord yet okay <laughs> everyone just chill out um my brother and i did uh did buy an apartment off the plan which is still being built at the time of recording which is kind of very annoying but w- w- what can you do we're very fortunate to be in that position for whatever reason, I have a bullshit uh, showbiz job that has been occasionally successful and has been managed to save up some money to do that and buy that. Um, and I will be living there now. I was planning to move to the UK this year, but uh, but but the comedy is cancelled and you're not allowed to fly anywhere. And the Edinburgh Fringe Festival has been called off and my UK management has been made redundant. Holy <laughs> so, shit. so that's all over. So now I'll be living with my brother. In our little apartment. And uh, yes, I'll be uh, funding that mortgage through posting my podcast, which I get up to $200 a month from via Patreon. So things are looking pretty solid, Alex. <laughs> pretty solid. Shit. Well, hey, I mean, um, that's, yeah, like one thing. <laughs> look, one, one thing that is just yeah, inconceivable for me is like being able to, being, being able to buy a place. And I think one thing that I've thought about recently because i actually um put my podcast on patreon i have 15 patrons and i mean like i can't believe one i can't believe 15 people actually like listen want to pay to listen to me but and i guess the main struggle for me was like it's very it's very weird at least for me it's been very weird transforming something that i've enjoyed like emotionally and uh intellectually into something that people can pay for um and I, my guess is that you've had more experience with this being like a comedian who, you know, has to kind of sell or has like an image, public image that people pay to see. And then also your podcast. So what's been your experience with like commodifying your your hobbies and that shit? Mm. God, I mean, yeah, my stand up show last year, which was about me becoming a, a dirty democratic socialist. I sort of had this bit about the fact that I sell laughter. That's my job. I, I've commodified laughter, that <laughs> joyful thing that human beings do when we are happy and when we're having fun time. Turn that into a product that I now sell in the free market under the capitalist system. And the joke was whenever I think about that, it makes me feel like the villain in a Charles Dickens novel. <laughs> yeah. But um, of course, you know, we live under capitalism and so, you know, in order to live a decent life, you need a wage. And I guess we're all just trying to compete to figure out the least shitty way to do that. Um, and, you know, being a stand-up comedian and getting paid to make people laugh and to create things and say what I think is an extremely non-shitty way to survive. Um, there are problems with it and I, there are lots of tweaks I would like to make and it'd be great if we could all just live, you know, the wonderful life that we'd like to, to live of leisure and do whatever the hell we want, pursue our own creative interests and innovation, but that's that's not the, the cards we've been dealt. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is weird because I set up my podcast a few years ago when I had a full-time job and I was doing perfectly fine financially and it was all, it was, all, it was just sort of something to keep going it helped me promote i guess shows and and you know plug things every now and again it built an audience had i had a regular connection with with people who liked my stuff so that was cool and then i mo- i never wanted to have advertising on it um, i understand why some folks do advertise on their podcasts but that just didn't feel like a good fit for me and then you know patreon has sort of become this this model where um you know, you do take out the dirty middleman a little bit and creators are paid directly for the for the stuff that they make so i'm on board that um I don't know what the socialist take on Patreon is. Probably that it's 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 a it's a good um, uh, in between measure 
between now, between capitalism and as capitalism dies, we move to socialism. Maybe it's a good way to support artists and creative thinkers and, you know, a lot of socialist writers who can't really get a lot of gigs in mainstream corporate media have probably used and leveraged Patreon to sort of make a little bit of a living while they put out some Marxist ideas and stuff. So that's good. Um, but yes, the Patreon is patreon.com forward slash Tom Ballard. <laughs> Give him all your money. He doesn't have a, an apartment or anything. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a fucking mortgage, right, people? <laughs> Cough up. <laughs> Shit, yeah. Um, and, like, I'm with you. I think that, like, for the meantime, things like Patreon where, even though, like, the the cut they take is pretty big. It's, like, I don't know, like 10%. Um, mm. One thing that doesn't seem to be happening, though, you kind of, you spoke about a shift from, um, you know, I guess many people believe the capital capitalism is, you know, falling to pieces. But... It doesn't seem like any government is really accepting that. And every measure that they're taking is to kind of reinstall society to some place similar to where it was before, you know, whatever crisis there is. But Sure. Um, or yeah. worse. Or, wor- you know, or it worse. It could always be worse, Alex. Yeah, but never yeah. discount that. Yeah. Never discount right-wing psychopaths' ability to make things even fucking worse. Yeah. Um, and this is the question, you know, on all the guests I've had on the podcast, on my podcast lately, and, you know, a lot of the, I think the debate has moved now to, okay, post-COVID, if, if, if we're four weeks away in Australia from lifting these restrictions, we're going back to some kind of semblance of normal. Uh, what then? How, mm. What does the recovery look like? Is it a complete reorganization of society mm. uh, to make a more just place uh, where we share resources more equitably and people have a, be- a decent crack at life? Or option B, is it austerity on steroids? Is it the is, the is it the biggest tightening of the belt ever, and placing the entire burden on working people, on young people, um, you know, ne- never considering tax, you know, taxing billionaires or major multinational corporations more, but uh, yeah, just saying, hey, we've got no money for anything. We've got no money for the arts. We've got no money for um, climate action. That's all done. We need to reboot the economy by increasing our fossil fuel extraction and the burning of that. Um, I don't know. Uh, the the black pilled nihilistic version certainly says that 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 hell world that second option while we have a Morrison government in power and while the Labor government the Labor Party seems rather complicit in in carrying you know in supporting those kind of ideas you know that they're neoliberal as as um, as anybody else uh, then then you're in real trouble there and I certainly had a moment I think within the first couple of weeks of lockdown and I was losing my mind like everybody and trying to figure this out I got very sort of energized and thought like we can't go back to normal this is bullshit we've got to do something about this the other side of this has to be a completely different world and society um I don't know maybe I've come down or maybe the energy of those ideas have sapped away but it's Mm. hard to imagine exactly how exactly how that happens exactly Mm. how you you come out of this with with a more just society yeah right um and like because be a downer. <laughs> oh no no i mean i'm in a similar like yeah i think the mix of being indoors for so long and then like kind of you know initially being very hopeful that things are going to change and then you know there's so much uncertainty and everything i'm also kind of i've lost i've lost touch with what can actually what i've lost touch with the good things that can happen and also the bad things because i just i feel very i imagine all of us feel so removed from like literally just like outside like there's a window here and i don't even know what it means really to like to like be out of it anymore um be outside but like because you've been interviewing politicians and um and people who who are actually i guess more involved with maybe policy and things that are happening do you 
and and like yeah do you do you, are you actually are you actually thinking that things aren't going to take you know a less neoliberal turn um i i i broadly yes i mean i think you would hope you would hope that it would it would foster some resentment to the status quo and some um some greater class consciousness but i just think you need to take a longer view i mean like the restrictions won't lift and suddenly scott morrison is is a is a socialist that's obviously not going to happen we have some hope in the fact that when you give people stuff from the government, when you give them, um, say, free healthcare or whatever, or you, you give people uh, benefits, they're very reluctant to give them up, and governments are very scared of giving them up or taking them away from people, um, particularly when, you've, when you're talking about such the massive government spending that affects so many parts of society that are a lot of ordinary Australians who potentially would vote for the Liberal Party. So it's actually in the Liberal National Coalition's interests to or against their interests rather to sort of wind back a lot of the spending and take it away i mean they've given parents free free childcare, right now it, it's still a bit shitty and means testing and all this kind of stuff but you know the government is just revealing how much it can do how many resources it has and how very quickly it can address a lot of problems i mean i, I talked to nick, nick mckim the green senator about this in my podcast and he's like it's just making it blatantly obvious that things like homelessness uh kids living in poverty uh, you know, overly expensive childcare. These are all political choices that we make. These are all the results of political choices that neoliberal governments have made. And we've revealed how quickly through, um, you know, a stroke of a pen and a quick mobilization of government resources, we can actually address a lot of these like really shitty societal problems that we've all been told are just intractable and are in inevitable. And the government doesn't have any answers for, for something like, you know, housing the homeless. So that's, that's cool. I mean, we can just point to it. We can say, look at what you did. You put a whole bunch of homeless people into empty hotel rooms. Um, you know, that, that's something to hang on to. Um, I think Adam Bant's doing pretty well. I think, I think as a leader of Greens, he's making a lot of noise around this. Um, the, the, the question, really, in terms of electoral strategy, really seems to lie in whether yeah, Anthony Albanese and Labour will, will take this opportunity to realign their party with with the interest of working people you'd hope so but as nick mckim said there's a lot of evidence to suggest they're not going to do that yeah right <laughs> well yeah i think like it's uh, it was reassuring to see how quickly the like the, yeah the thing about the government being able to pull all of this money out of its ass or make it feel like it was pulling it out of its ass but really you know it has to be sitting there um or it has to be available for use because you know these the youth allowance has been doubled. There's um, the uh, JobKeeper, JobSeeker benefits. And in America, they've got this, um, you know, kind of UBI thing. So it seems like, yeah, these deeply, these deeply uh, selfish governments actually have the capacity to alleviate the suffering that the system yields. Um, and yeah, you just like, I guess the question for me is like, how how do we normalize these systems of support such that they don't have to come out <laughs> such that the only the only thing that brings them out doesn't have to be a fucking pandemic um <laughs> but yeah um uh, okay so that that's cool that's cool thanks for thanks for sharing that um <laughs> uh, another i mean i mean i will say that like I, I would hope that, you know, as, as the crisis becomes more extreme, as the contradictions of, of capitalism and the way we organize society become apparent, I mean, I think you can make the argument that 
um, people on the left or the centre left can make the Liberals even greater villains than they have been before. Like I think even reasonable, potentially Liberal voters would look at something like the Morrison government continuing with income tax cuts in this context, right? Like seriously doing the psychopathic move of just giving away a shitload of government revenue at the time when, you know, next year our GDP, our government debt might be equal to GDP. And when there's just clearly a massive rebuild that's required to kickstart the economy. I think you can pretty easily, even a neoliberal, you know, centre-right Labour member can say, that's insane, that's bullshit. And I think most people would agree with that. Um, that's that's ide- ideology on steroids. That's just like a crazy government being wedded to saying, we, we promise these tax cuts and they have to go ahead no matter what, yeah. even though our entire economy shut down and a plague uh, sweeped across the globe, killing lots of people and changing everything. So you, you would hope that the extremity of this... I mean, this is more extreme than the, the 2008 financial crisis, certainly the Australian context. It's more extreme than September 11th. Um, and I, if we can react... <laughs> if we can react to this as crazily as reacted to 9-11, that is, if we can spend a shitload of money and time and political capital on rebuilding Australia and making it a better place to live... Um, you know, if we can do the equivalent of invading Iraq, <laughs> but rebuilding Australia yeah. in a good way, yeah. then that would be that would be very nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> That's I guess probably a terrible analogy. No, no but, but, you, but you're you right. Know, you know what yeah, I, mean. I I know exactly what you mean, and like it's it's a I guess it's a for me it feels like a really unique thought because um, yeah, normally normally there is a group of people that are victimized and vilified as a result of a big event like uh i guess 9-11 it was oh, sorry um well 9-11 was you know the the arab muslim world um uh the global financial crisis i guess it's kind of unclear because the wall street bankers and the people involved with shorting mortgage loans um and credit ratings they kind of all vanished and only one of them was prosecuted so it's kind of unclear where we point the finger but the fingers pointed at this model which is capitalism and then again the fingers being pointed at this model which is capitalism but it doesn't seem like well i guess i'm only kind of i'm 23 and i was 12 when the financial crisis happened um and i i didn't really i had no idea what it meant um and i guess over the past few years i've kind of woken up to politics and woken up to um what governments can do to fix things and what and how people can respond to things that are happening but you said before that like you know the center-right politicians who look at um the liberal government introducing more tax cut tax breaks for rich people and whatever um and i like i'm not sure i'm not sure if you heard but um trump has delayed the sending of the the kind of stimulus package the one thousand dollar thing that's being sent to all those people he's delaying it by four days because he wants his name printed on every single paper that's being sent to every house right so he's he's delaying people's suffering by an extra four days but <laughs> sorry i, I shouldn't laugh but no no is that real is that that's real. real that's actually real that's that's real Fuck yeah so he's delaying it by four days right but there are two things that follow the two potential ways people can respond to this either they can say um oh wow look donald trump's giving us money what a great guy or they can say 
and, and like I imagine that's why he did it you know there was there was narcissism and then there was also the kind of political move to get people to associate money with a Trump government um, and then there's the second thing which is what people what what I feel which is how dare this guy how dare, how dare this guy add an extra four days of suffering so he can get his name printed on all of these pages and so you know we need to think about other leadership but I don't know I just I guess I'm not as convinced that I just I'm not I'm not that familiar with that kind of thinking um, by people I don't know and so I, I guess one thing that one thing that I wanted to talk to you about because when Liam and I spoke to you um, nearly a year ago I think one thing that we tried to talk about but didn't really get to was talking to people who aren't on your side of politics and or who yeah who aren't on your side of politics so because like yeah how how do you have you have you kind of been engaged with people who aren't on your side of politics much in and have have you found that to be like yeah 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 it's it's a it's a big question and i've certainly been on a journey when it comes to it you know trump gets elected in 2016 i lose my fucking mind i like don't understand it Oh my God, how could I be so stupid? I've got to reach out. We've got to talk to people we don't understand. If we all just see where other people are coming from, then we can make this world a better place and we can hug each other and there'll be blowjobs for everybody and uh, the world will be a nicer place. And that is a pretty um, naive, idealistic and liberal response to something like Donald Trump being elected. And then since then, the past four years, I've sort of moved to what's more of a material analysis that is looking at tr- trying to look at like the actual conditions, the material conditions of people's lives and what those conditions give rise to. And why, if you've been living and suffering as a, you know, um, white working class dude in America who's seen his industries shut down all around him and his standard of living just decrease and decrease and decrease, uh, Washington doesn't seem to do anything. The whole political system seems to be junk. So fuck it. Why not vote in this guy who says he's going to blow it all up? You know, I don't. I don't believe the government can do something really great. So why not vote in for this guy who's going to stick it to you know people who seem to hate me, um, and who's going to uh, piss off the establishment as much as I want them to be pissed off? So you sort of get that level of under. You try and get a level of understanding of how things work, but I guess I'm suspicious of or, or suspect of the idea that if we just listen to each other's arguments and everyone's coming into things in good faith, um, if we just listen to where people are coming from, then everything will be great. Yeah. I've done a lot of podcasts with, uh, I did a podcast with Lyle Shelton from the Australian Christian Lobby. I've done podcasts with Sam Newman. I've done podcasts with Caleb Bond recently, the conservative commentator. I like talking to people on the right and conservative commentators to try and get an understanding of what they think, why they think it. Uh, it clarifies my thinking. Um, and I find that helpful and I'm appreciative to those people for giving me their time and sketching out what they think. But I guess I would, I would say that there is a point where you kind of have to not draw a line, but you kind of, you have to question how much value you get out of um, talking to other folks. Or if you keep looking for a level of good faith or a level of coherence <laughs> or a level of compassion... Uh, in some people's worldview, you will find them lacking. Um, and when it comes to logic, I mean, like for the Trump supporter, it's just like at this point, it's just it's just kind of pointless. I guess you, you, you and I would be speaking a different language to what an ordinary person looking at, at Trump 
might be saying. There, mm. is, there is literally nothing he can do that will shake off the support with some people. With He, he sort of has this floor of support in, in the US where he doesn't dip below, right? So clearly some people, whatever they see in Trump, they like what they see. Anything they, that would suggest something that is bad about him can be dismissed as a conspiracy or a liberal smearing or bullshit. Some of it has been bullshit. You know, the Russia investigation was was kind of bullshit. So, so fair enough that that, that you would um, you know undermine the credibility of people who are constantly attacking him. And there is a level of sometimes hysteria or misrepresentation of what Trump is about or what he does, or how, uh, how or how evil he is, or how exceptional he is. So, um, I hope that makes sense. But I mean, I like you know. At this point, I'm happy to talk to anyone who's in the Liberal Party or votes Liberal Party if they've got something interesting to say. But you know, I, I have a fundamental disrespect <laughs> for anybody yeah. who can look at the current Liberal Party and think, uh, no, these guys are really doing their best to make the, the, this country better. Yeah, this, yeah. this is a good. This is a good group of people with a good ideology uh, that that is that improves things. Yeah, I just I just sort of if you think that I I I think we have different brains or something. Um, or it's within your own, you know, that someone operating on their own material interest. Um, they sort of say, if under a liberal government, I'm going to be better off. Um, and pursuing that ideology is, is better for everybody. They sincerely believe that, but I don't have to respect that belief. Yeah, yeah. And I'm the same. Um, and I think that's only something that I've come to realize more recently. The thing you were saying about like... Uh, like talking with talking with someone who doesn't have the same beliefs as you and being able to like have some grasp of their beliefs but then after the conversation just being like well fuck like yeah you and i are just speaking different languages or looking at the same thing through two different prisms that can't be merged or something um Mm. and that like that's quite that's quite upsetting for me and i think it's been really frustrating for me because um I think one of my priorities at the moment, especially with this podcast, because I've been super partisan, like I've only spoken to lefties um, and like really haven't made, I guess, like abstractly, I've engaged with conservative politics. Like I've I've kind of, um, you know, asked questions about the motivations for certain beliefs and that kind of stuff. But yeah, like I, I don't know. I just I feel like maybe one of the most important questions that we we always need to be thinking about and trying to move closer to an answer to answering is the question of how like the question of whether it's actually true that the like those people who believe in Trump and who are who we think are so rooted in their beliefs for Trump that like their their opinions are impenetrable is that actually true like is there anything that we can do because if if that's true then like yeah, I guess like my my I don't know, like I I feel like I will be a lot less motivated to like work on things like this podcast and talk to <laughs> but seriously because like yeah, I guess I'm kind of utilitarian about it. Like I actually want to see some kind of practical and tangible outcome from doing things. Um mm. and like yeah. No, that's that's interesting. I I I hear that. Um, I mean, a good example is, so Jordan Peterson debated Slavoj, Slavoj, Slavoj Žižek, right? Okay, so Slavoj Žižek, uh, Marxist thinker. I think Slovenian. Yeah. Slovenian, right? Slovenian, yes. Uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, Canadian psychologist who's 
caused a lot of controversy for his uh, various opinions about gender identity and or about addressing gen- people of different gender identity and um, you know has this sort of self-help kick but also this kind of political kick has been associated with the incel movement uh, a controversial guy who believes in um, the the natural uh, the natural emergence of hierarchies and all this kind of stuff. People have probably heard of, of Jordan Peterson. So they have a debate, right? Now, neither of those men are going to change their minds about what they think, right? They're, 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 pretty, they're pretty embedded in their ideolo- uh, ideologies. They're extremely intelligent, uh, deep thinkers who have spent a lot of time thinking about the world and what they think of it. And the, de- the debate is not designed to try and convince v- v- Slavoj Žižek to make Jordan Peterson a socialist. It's about all the people who were watching the debate, hearing those ideas being tossed around and, and weighing them up and trying to-, to come to some kind of, you know, to land on the things that kind of um, ring true. And the interesting thing is that, is that I think after the debate, they sort of did a poll of like who, you know, asking the audience who they thought won. And quite a few people who were probably close to Peterson by the end left, ended up, you know, being much more sympathetic to Zizek. Um, a bunch of Trump supporters supported Bernie Sanders in the primary. They wanted Bernie Sanders to win. Hillary Clinton wins. And so filled with hatred as they were for the, the political establishment of the Democratic Party in the Clinton um, dynasty, they said, fuck this, fuck the center, fuck the status quo, fuck business as usual. I'd rather have the democratic socialist, and if not him, fuck it, I'll take this insane billionaire guy who seems to piss off all the people in the center who I hate so very much. Hmm. So I guess it's sort of like an indication of how bad things have gotten. And again, after four decades of neoliberalism that tells you the government can't do much for you, really, and you're on your own, and we don't live in a society, and it's just sort of you against the world, buddy, um, why would you care about politics so much that you don't see how ridiculous it is to, ridiculous it is to vote for Trump? Yeah. Um, so that, that's that's some vague summation of where I've got to in that respect. Okay. So, yeah. And, and look, there is, there is you know, I don't know, 20% of Trump supporters, there's, I'm sure there's, there's, they say in the refugee debate, there's sort of like 25% of the Australian public who are just rusted on, you're never going to get through to them. You're never going to convince them that the way we treat refugees is cruel, unnecessary, and, and stupid. Um, there is this kind of mass in the middle, and if we believe on the left that there are more of us than there are of them, um, or we can try and mobilise the working class, mobilise more ordinary people, and there literally is more of us than there are of them by the nature of the way capitalism is arranged, um, then, that, then that's the hope for the left. That's the hope that you, know, you organise most people. You have to have faith in most people wanting good things for themselves and for, for everybody else. Um, and, I, and I do believe in that. Yeah, I, I believe that most people when given the chance and the freedom and given material security, are generally pretty good people um, and, and want good things to happen. Yeah, no, me too. Um, I like, I, uh, and this this is one one of the like more outrageous claims that Jordan Peterson makes, which is that like life fundamentally is this like journey of darkness and suffering and <laughs> like misery. But like really- Yeah, if you only eat beef, you yeah, eat fucking yeah. beef all day, then yeah. yes, it's miserable. And yeah, it's going to be fucking awful. But like, <laughs> you're right, you're right. I don't think that like, really, I think that if people are provided with like the kind of fundamentals necessary for just like an existence, then like, I think it becomes a lot easier- to yeah it, and like i don't know if you're in i don't know if you're a fan of sam harris i guess like his some, some of the his views on atheism and, and like his kind of really rigid fixation with the scientific method trouble me but 
recently there's this really beautiful podcast really beautiful interview that he did with a psychologist from yale who specializes i guess her area of research is uh, happiness and contentment and she after a whole bunch of studies has somewhat concluded that the things that actually contribute to our well-being are kind of quasi altruistic acts so like if you're feeling shit and then if you're feeling shit in covid and then the government is like oh here's a kind of stimulus package what you ought not to do according to the kind of research that that she's conducted is go and buy a whole bunch of stuff for yourself but and like she's not saying she's not saying that you go and buy you you don't go and buy anything but you go and buy or you go and do things for others and that it seemed like the kind of underlying message although she didn't say this was that fundamentally we might be self-interested but there is like one thing that really contributes to our well-being much more than kind of investing in ourselves is kind of turning out turning outward and directing i don't know something towards others um and so I guess that well, makes me... Well, think, think about one of the worst... You know, if you're in a comfortable position like I am, right? One of the worst things about this period is just not being able to see people. Yeah, like, you yeah, know, yeah. Like, this, like we, we, are, we are social animals. We fundamentally care about each other. And, and, and I think what this crisis is making you realize is, yeah, like at the end of the day, I mean, I can sit at home all day right now and watch all the Netflix I want. Um, can jack off, can eat a lot of food. I'm fine. <laughs> in terms yeah. of like my own personal you know, immediate pleasures. I'm hedonism. I've sorted it it out, right? But the thing that makes me really sad is thinking about the shitty time that lots of other people are going through and not being able to, you know, visit my gran or my mum and dad or my friends and, like, you know, just have a few drinks in the pub with my friend. Like, you know, that's that's the stuff that, that I guess, rises to the surface as, like, being very, um, very important. And, yes, I think being altruistic is good. But there's even to that, there's a sort of a class... Material, yeah, 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 right? yeah. Like, like, there's if you don't have any money, yeah. Uh, then if, you're, how, if you're living yeah. off job seeker, you you can't do a lot in terms of donating money to other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's interesting, actually, like the level of ideology inherent in sayings, like you know, hey, you can't buy love, and money doesn't buy you happiness, and all this kind of stuff. And it's not the material, you know, you don't need material things in order to be happy. That's all very liberal middle class yeah. ideas, right? So yeah. that's people who probably have a fair bit of money who are very comfortable and still aren't quite happy mm. for a range of other reasons now need to tell themselves that money isn't the secret to happiness, yeah, which is all very well and yeah. good, mm. except for the fact that there are some people with shitloads of money and multiple yachts in the same society as people who can't afford to live anywhere. So, um, you know, I'm very suspicious of folks, particularly you see like billionaires doing pieces, doing interviews, being like, you know, it's not about the money, really. It's at the end of the day, the important things are your friends and family. And you kind of go, well, then donate three quarters of your wealth yeah. <laughs> to to fix homelessness, please. That'd, yeah, that'd be yeah. really good. Um, that would be very helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And on that, I actually uh, recently, the most two recent episodes I've done have been um, on this essay by a philosopher called Bertrand Russell. Um, he wrote this really beautiful essay nearly a hundred years ago called In Praise of Idleness. Um, and in the second, so I split it into two parts. The first part, I kind of did an analysis of the essay. And the second part, I tried to answer the question that that was somewhat related to what you just said. So like, yeah, these billionaires are saying, ah, oh, like I'm Jeff Bezos, oh, whatever, Jeff Bezos or whoever, they have a lot of money, they have, um, and then they say, 
to the interviewer, oh, you know, it's not about the money. It's about, the f- it's about you know, being able to take care of my family or something. Um, and, and like, but the th- yeah, the thing that they're not acknowledging is that money allows you to be. So this essay was called In Praise of Idleness. Um, and money, one thing that money allows you to be is idle. And idleness seems to be very important, especially like now you and I both have incredible amounts of idle time. Um, We're indoors all day. Um, You're masturbating. I'm looking out the window. Um, And yeah, like we can only do that because we have we have the fundamentals necessary for survival in place. Um, And not everyone does. And so, yeah, like I I don't know. I'm beginning to suspect that like. Yeah, or not like it's just it's becoming more and more obvious that like we have to we have there has to be some regulation of these people's incomes or there has to be some I don't know like Peter Singer talks a lot about donating a significant amount of your income out of your and doing that out of your own volition but it doesn't seem like enough people are doing that so I just yeah I like I don't want people on the street um and I I don't like I want people to yeah I want people to have. I just like you know people need shelter and water and yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah it's so so true and never never lose sight of that anyone listen to this never forget the fact that homelessness is crazy that it yeah. is crazy and batshit insane that in our society that I think we have a 1.2 trillion dollar economy in this country that we tolerate homelessness yeah. that the homelessness yeah. population is going up that there are like a million empty residential houses in this country and something like, I think a homeless population of 120,000 people or something, right? Now, any rational society would say, oh, we should put those people who don't have houses into those empty houses. Uh, but we don't because that's we have private property and that's how capitalism works, okay? So never forget how crazy that is. The idleness thing is really interesting too, right? So I had a moment the other day when I was just walking, uh, walking going on my government-mandated walk for an hour. And, and if you ignore a whole bunch of horrible things that are happening right now, it was a moment of real, of really, it was a really lovely day. I was hanging out with my boyfriend. We were just walking around. There was lots of people out on bikes and stuff and people enjoying being outside. And it was a moment of real bliss. And, you know, if you put aside all the other, yeah, shitty things that are happening and all the other considerations going on right now, you know, you got this glimpse of what life could be like. Maybe we don't have to work five days a week, 40 hours a week, 50, 60 hours a week to make wealth for somebody else, um, making bullshit or doing a bullshit job that we don't really care about, we're just doing in order to survive. What, what if we had more free time to pursue the things that we really love doing? What if we had an actual level of freedom? You know, right-wing people love talking about freedom. How free are you if you have to go to the same place for eight hours a day, five days a week, to make money for somebody else? Right, really. Um, and also remember that, you know, if you take away those pressures of endless competition and being forced into these jobs and forced to do certain things with your time, there's no telling what human creativity and innovation can bring. Um, the idea that if you give people money to survive because they don't have a job, that is like a job seeker payment, they'll sit on their ass all day and won't create anything and won't do anything. It's just bullshit, right? That's, that's neoliberal logic. And so we have to means test everything and we have to have these insane systems like robo-debt which cost more money and are really ineffective and traumatize people's lives in order to make sure that not a single person is ripping off the taxpayer, even though welfare fraud is like a tiny, less than half a percent um, of, of, of all welfare payments are, you know, are, are fraudulently claimed. Um, you know, if we had a universal basic service system where you know, all our public services were as good as they possibly could be, that weren't run for profit, they're in public hands, 
Um, think of the flourishing and all the stuff that we could do. People don't, you know, try to find a cure for cancer for the sweet, sweet cash, okay? They, they, they do it because they believe in science and furthering human knowledge and creating things, you know? The Russians under the Soviets went to the moon, or, you know, beat, us in this, beat America in the space race, rather, like getting into the atmosphere. Like, the idea that profit and the money in, in, is the incentive for all human activity is just wrong, and anyone who tells you otherwise is, is, um, is trying to maintain the status quo. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, dude. Uh, I, I actually, I'm not sure if you've read the essay in Praise of Idleness, but you should actually read I it. I don't read anything, and I refuse no, no. to, okay? <laughs> well, I'll fucking, I'm too busy I'm masturbating. Ra- dude, I'll actually, I'll, I, I'll read it, I'll record it, and you can no, listen no. to it while you're masturbating. I would love that. Um, <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's 10 pages, um, and it's actually, it, it like, it's amazing that this guy 100 years ago, like, was able to just foresee the cl- that that exact claim the claim that what motivates us is money and i guess that ideology was present like you know neoliberalism capitalism is old it's an old ish idea you know adam smith kind of whatever did the, the invisible hand of neoliberalism a few hundred years ago um but yeah you're right like with with time with free time to pursue mm. our interests just imagine the volume of oh not even the volume just imagine like the the meaningful the experience the, the meaningful experiences that people could actually have people who and otherwise some of, be, some of it will be shit if if, yeah. if we lived under social there'd be a lot of shit art being made yeah, yeah, but that's yeah, okay because yeah. yeah, people would can... be free to do it that doesn't yeah, matter yeah yeah it actually it doesn't I mean, matter and just for them yeah because neoliberalism commodifies everything so it commodifies our time so even during this lockdown Look at all this productivity. It's like you're yeah. productive. What are you doing? What are you making? Are you writing King Lear for fuck's sake? Because because that's and that's turning our time into money. You're right, right. So like we've got all this free time in our hands. That's a resource that we should turn into something that will later bring us capital or will later generate, you know, economic activity, as opposed to first of all, you, you know, just grieving or just living in the fact that everything that we know about our life has changed, and enjoying ourselves and taking you know a level of self-care if i can be so indulgent to just sort of be a person alive in this moment who's probably feeling pretty lonely and alienated and isolated and just saying that's fine rather than saying why aren't you working why aren't you making stuff for um for the for the blessed economy and i mean you know during this you've got some serious mask off shit where you've got people writing the australian financial review if thousands and thousands of old australians need to die in order for us to get this economy started again so be it like they're literally making that cost benefit analysis and saying sorry grandma uh you're done because you know mcdonald's needs to get get you know get their gdp up or whatever like it's crazy and it's and it's like i would hope that you know i'm already too far gone i've lifted listened to too many leftist politics uh, podcasts and i'm reading all the articles and stuff so i'm looking at all this stuff and losing my mind but you would hope that more people who are, who are less engaged with political theory or ideology also look around at this and sort of feel on an instinctual level this is bonkers this is a crazy way that we that we run things and it's and, and we choose to do this this is not natural or this is not inevitable yeah yeah yeah, well, I think I think it's actually going to be inevitable for people not to have those kinds of thoughts. Like, there's just there's too much there's too much that's happening, and where we're being presented with all of it, and you can feel it. Literally, yeah, now more than ever, you can feel um, the consequences of uh, yeah, a system that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't do what it ought to do. Okay, well, there's there's one thing that 
one thing that I, yeah, I guess that it's a kind of a big topic um, and I wasn't really sure how to bring it up, but one thing that seems, so I listened to, uh, so Obama recently endorsed Biden, I think either yesterday or this morning. And one thing that he kept turning to was faith and God. Um, and f- I think f- uh, on when you type in Tom Ballard on Google and then you go into news, <laughs> I think the fifth thing is like a, an article from a few years ago in the, uh, I think ABC about you being a, a militant atheist or something like that. So, um, yeah, I was wondering, uh, how, how do you, how does your atheism feel today and how, maybe how's it like, what, yeah, what, what exactly do you believe? Um, it's, it's, yes, again, an interesting question because it's sort of, it's, uh, it's certainly changed since, since my early twenties, you know, I, I came out as gay when I was 18, and then I think it must have been pretty soon after that, 18, 19, you know, I start really getting into Christopher Hitchens, um, Sam Harris as well, Richard Dawkins. And it was a, you know, people might remember that kind of new atheist movement, these four horsemen of the apocalypse, and it was watching a lot of YouTube clips of them debating and destroying hecklers and arguing with religious people and, you know, reading God is not great and all this kind of stuff. And it was, you know, a time that was very intellectually stimulating, and, you know, tied into that was, was definitely my reaction to, like, religious homophobia, right, which is still fucking bonkers. And the fact that the Catholic Church can still has the balls to tell us what is and isn't morally right when it comes to sexual practices um, still makes me very angry and blows my mind. Um, and I probably had a very dismissive view of people of faith. I thought they were idiots and can't they see and don't they understand how science works, yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, over the past couple of years, through a few things, through realizing how um, ineffective as a sort of a political strategy or, or a argumentative strategy that is, it doesn't really get you anywhere. Kind of, you know, a few people might be drawn to um, that kind of thinking, which might change their political outlook, maybe, but but not really. It's not very really appealing. It's not really a, a way to bring people along to your movement to just tell them that they're fucking idiots for believing in God. And also meeting a whole bunch of people of faith, particularly in the refugee advocacy space, whose, whose faith was clearly a fundamental part of the way they structured their lives. Like it wasn't just a aesthetic, like I would say it is with Scott Morrison, who seems to be a Christian, but that doesn't affect the way he thinks about <laughs> anything. Um, you know, I don't know how you believe in Jesus's love and, you know, endorse Australia's immigration policy. You know, these are people who are like, you know, they, they dedicate their lives to trying to live in the example of what they believe Jesus to be. And, you know, even though I don't believe that Jesus exists or that anything happens when we die, you look at that and you go, that's that's a pretty extraordinary moral example of the way to live your life. So um, I, I think I think also just a recognition of the fact that a lot of people have faith in their lives to give themselves comfort or as a, as a sort of theoretical or um, metaphorical way of dealing with human existence. And it's fine. That's totally fine. Uh, it doesn't affect me at all. Good luck to you. No worries. You know the problems we have is when those beliefs intersect with yeah with with, with politics or with um, um, the distribution of resources or the way you think that society should be arranged and then we're sort of just having a political d- debate like anybody else. So you know I, I think there's a whole bunch of shitty stuff that religion does and continues to do, um, but the arguments against it or at least the way say new atheism takes on a lot of those arguments is not um it just it just seems like a bit of a dead end to me and i would rather sort of spend your time fighting for a society where anyone can you know uh praise or or pursue whatever religious 
or spiritual belief they wish that they have the freedom to do that that's no worries but you know we have a secular society that has certain uh, rules and laws that that stops them from doing anything uh, too horrible to, to other people to particularly vulnerable people yeah 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 and I, I, yeah i think i agree with a lot of what you say and the reason why i wanted to talk about this or why i brought this up was because yesterday apart from the obama thing yesterday i listened to an interview with um uh richard dawkins um and he he but yeah i guess like the new atheists are pretty inflammatory but he said that like he genuinely believes that there will be a time where society doesn't have religion um and i yeah i just got thinking about that and i i think i think i realized i think i believe that um that's not even like that's not even something that i like i I, I want people to be able to believe in if people want to like my my dad's family are Muslim. Um, my dad isn't. Uh, I'm not. Um, and I guess because because of that, because of meeting these people who are my blood and who believe in something that I don't believe in. Um, yeah, I guess that that's one thing that's informed my belief that I want a kind of. Yeah, just I want a freedom. I want a freedom for people to believe in. I guess whatever they want, so long as it, so long as it is kind of, you know, so long as secularism is protected and, um, and so, uh, the threats that are posed to secularism by religion would also be posed by other things. Like I just, yeah, I guess I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, the thing that I don't share with Dawkins and, and Sam Harris and those guys is that I don't believe that religion is unique in the way that it threatens good things. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there are, you know, there are non-religious things that obviously like um neoliberalism um is a is a profound threat to the well-being of so many people and um yeah yeah anyway sorry I, yeah and, and it's so probably there are probably more devout followers of neoliberalism than there are um <laughs> you know christianity, <laughs> christianity. Uh, i don't know yeah i mean i think i think a world without religion is either i don't know i guess it's possible to imagine but it sort of seems like so far away so far down the track that it's kind of pointless to talk about. I think you could definitely look at the the changing role of religion and its importance and its decreased credibility in our society from even, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago. I mean, um, yeah, secularism has, has won on a whole bunch of fronts and, you know, the intersection between the religious and the political is, um, I guess it's a smaller Venn diagram uh, and that's good. Still insane that churches don't pay taxes, for example. We, we should we need to sort that out. But if you look at like Scandinavia, I, I don't know what it is, but the rates of atheism there are very high. Race, either atheism or, or non-religion are very high. Um, so I just think, yes, as, as our scientific understanding deepens and um, as the credibility of religions and ch- church, organized religion particularly, which is the real problem, um, you know, sort of wanes, you'll just see people... You know, I think very easily accepting the idea that you can have a full and wonderful and moral life without having to believe in in God, um, and with believing that this is the one life that we have, which I still think that most people think instinctively that this this is it, and that if you die, it's bad, <laughs> and and we it's nice to think about an eternal life after death, but but I don't. I don't, know, I don't. I find it hard to understand how rational people seriously believe that that's that's what happens. Um, so yes, but you're certainly true. It's certainly true that there are, um, yeah, there are much more sinister uh, forces in this world um, that we should be worried about. 
um, and religion is not always the one. I mean, in America during the Bush years, it did really feel like that was it, you know, and that 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 these these genuinely bonkers um, Christian evangel you know evangelists were willing on the apocalypse or were making all the decisions based on what their Bible told them, and that that was pretty scary. And religion has been used to justify, yeah, the war in Iraq and torturing people and blowing people up and stuff, and that's bad. <laughs> but, you know, how do you fix that? Do you try and beat the religion out of people's heads or do you try and win a world in which um, their material conditions are not so extreme that they turn to violent ideologies? Um, that would be ideal. I mean, something like the abortion debate, I still... It, it kind of... It seems hard to extract religion from that. I don't know what else is in it for people stopping women uh, having control over their bodies other than their sincere belief that the soul enters the the whatever the embryo the, the, you know the the the, the conception the, the soul starts and 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 God wants abortion to stop um I don't know how many non-religious pro-lifers there are. I'm sure there's, sure there's a bunch. But anyway, there just some, there does seem to be some debates where religion is the name game. But even like, look at the gay marriage debate in Australia, right? So someone like Lyle Shelton from the Australian Christian Lobby, they couldn't even, they didn't even make the argument that like, Jesus doesn't want this, right? They, they know that in Australia, you're not going to get that far. You'll be sort of dismissed as a bit of a kook if you put God front and center all the time. So they were constantly searching for like, dodgy studies and and you know case examples and trying to fear, you know terrify people about what this will do to kids all in a very kind of secular argument way um trying to convince people why gay marriage was bad um because they know that if they say if they hold up a bible and say my god tells me this is wrong people will go piss off mate we don't we don't care about that <laughs> that argument that's not going to work here at all um and it's refreshing that they have to do that and it's refreshing to know that they they lost really badly on that front so um, that gives me a bit of faith in in Australia. It's interesting. I've talked to a few religious people, and they just can't get their heads around it. I remember, like you know, I remember, yeah, in my early twenties, people talk to me like, "So what you think when we die? There's just nothing. Like it just ends." And you go, "Yeah, you know, how, like there was nothing before you were born. Um, it'll just be that again, but forever." Yeah. Well, like maybe maybe there's something about uh, the difference between the atheist view of like afterlife, before life, whatever. And the lefty and the right winger, maybe like there's a similar kind of inability to access to access like what people actually believe. Because yeah, like I, I at this point I don't know, I don't know how people believe that. Like, yeah, I, I, I can't I can't feel the same pull towards an afterlife in a very similar way that I can't feel the same pull towards like um a conservative uh a conservative asylum policies um well it, it's interesting if you're right wing and you you believe in god and you're very suspicious of government if you believe that there is some kind of cosmic justice and that there are bigger powers you know running things god is running things and will ultimately punish people one way or the other i guess that would feed your suspicion of government you you know you, you sort of see government as man's folly and you'd be like, don't worry, guys, God's going to sort all this out in the afterlife, right? He's going to, everyone is going to be judged correctly and everyone's going to get the punishment they do and don't deserve in the afterlife. So, you know, you know, don't stop, ta lower my taxes and uh, stop butting your head into my life because, you know, I'm doing my own thing. It's just me and God here. And uh, you're sort of coming between me and my religious freedom, I suppose. Um, maybe that, and, and 
religious people often point to like you know the Stalin you know or or socialist regimes and the countries sort of basically replaced God with the state and uh, they're very they're very get very worked up about that very worried about it so hmm hmm cool all right well dude thank you um but it's, <laughs> thank you yeah no that was that was really that was really nice thanks a lot tom oh I, no worries man it was a pleasure thanks for having me